Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. Our guests tonight appear on the show. Penzo Performance Line, and you get to hang out, be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, ESPN Nation, presented by Dr. Pepper. It's official. College football's back. So is your favorite Dr. Pepper-loving college football town, Fansville. Head to a store near you to treat your inner college football fan to an ice-cold 20-ounce Dr. Pepper today. We'll get into a lot of college football over the course of tonight. But the biggest story coming in to tonight, obviously, Sarah, has to do with what we saw yesterday, sort of the best and the worst. We saw the Jets do the most jet thing ever to get this close to the end of the season and find a way in dramatic fashion to hold on and beat the Rams. And that was sort of a shake. Like Chris Mitchell used to work on this show all the time. He still hangs out with us at night sometimes. I just My heart broke for him. He's a Jets fan, and I thought, man, Chris does not get to have nice things. Robert Lawrence, we hardly knew ye. It was the <laughs> best of teams. It was the worst of teams. It was the age of Mahomes. It was the age of foolishness. Uh, Fitz, quickly, I wanted to point out, I think because your Raiders played on Thursday, your voice sounded really good today when you introed the show. You know, I think it, it was very it, clear that you were not yelling about the Raiders yesterday. You came through with no party voice, lots of strength, lots of diaphragms. Support your vocal cords sound nice. You know what? I've, I'm feeling it. Like, is this what the off season's <laughs> going to be like? Like, I don't know. I don't like if I was putting money in a jar yesterday, nothing would have gone in. I mean, I watched the a whole day of action and thought, man, this is how the rest of the world feels yeah. like without yeah, the I mean, emotional I feel, roller coaster. I feel good about the NBA season. We might not start every. <laughs> week with you going it's spinning uh, but back to what we were discussing yeah the jets man this is such a fascinating conundrum because we all know that of all the sports football is the last one that the players will tank in a lot of their careers are only three or four years long they're not wasting a season they're constantly auditioning for a role on another team or just to reaffirm their own spot on a team because a lot of those contracts aren't guaranteed a lot of the money that they're hoping to get can immediately go away if they don't show up and look good. And then it's dangerous. It's dangerous enough when you're 100% on top of things, not to mention if you start half-assing plays. So I, I think it's great for the players that they got to go into that locker room and celebrate a win, to feel good about the effort that they put out there, and to down a team that's really good. On the other hand, it sucks when your team is so bad that failure is all the fans have left to root for. And so yesterday, to have a team win and feel good while every single Jets fan on earth, even the ones that usually don't root for futility, was pulling their hair out and asking why. That is a terrible situation to be in. And if anything, it should just tell the Jets that they never again want to put themselves in a position where the fans and the players are going to be rooting for different outcomes. Well, and and I think you make such a great point, and I'll add coaches to that. Like, there, there's no element of the coaches yesterday that were hoping to lose a game, and that's been some of the narrative around the Jets has been whether it's because of players that were on the COVID list or players that have been scratched or, or bad defensive coordinative calls. Defensive like, calls, yeah. like The number of people that have been like, oh, they're trying to lose. Now, there's nobody that is on that field on Sundays that is trying to be a part of of a loss, including Adam Gase. I mean, realistically, he doesn't want that that on him. He doesn't want an 0-16 team being on his resume. So, uh, obviously, for all of them, uh, incredible. But for the organization itself, it's that moment where, you, you know, you're looking at it and saying, man, we can't even get this right now. I love Trevor Lawrence. And, you know, certainly I've been a big Trevor Lawrence fanatic and a big Trevor Lawrence uh, sort of supporter, but I'm not sure Trevor Lawrence fixes all of the ills for the Jets. I mean, we saw basically two different worlds. Like you said earlier, the best of teams, the worst of teams. Like, we saw the Chiefs go out and do Chief-like things when Mahomes was absolutely unstoppable and they did everything. The Saints defense did everything they could right, but there are just certain times that you can't 
outright what Patrick Mahomes can do when he just runs around for an hour behind you. And I kept thinking about like the Mahomes syndrome where if you're a Chiefs fan, you feel like right now, I mean, you got 15 years of greatness ahead of you. So like we saw the best, we saw the worst yesterday, but it does raise an interesting sort of conundrum for me. What do you do for the rest of us? Because you and I live in this level of mediocrity, right? Like the, the, the Bears right now are a mediocre team. The Raiders right now are a mediocre team. And I'm seeing mediocrity with like cartwheels in a parade. Like I'm ready to throw confetti in the air and say, oh my God, nine and seven could happen. Like more wins and losses. That's, a, that's where my mind is. But you're looking at it and saying, my God, mediocrity again. How do we get out of it? Like it, at least for the Chiefs and the Jets, you can say there's a plan of what they're trying to accomplish right now. There's a lot of the league that's stuck in the middle ground. And I don't know how you get out of that. Well, and the problem is, is that there's this belief that you go out and get that superstar like Trevor Lawrence and it fixes everything. It can, but think how many teams had a one, two, three, top four or five pick and it didn't become what they hoped it would. Patrick Mahomes is a great example because Mahomes team, the Chiefs, was not the worst team that year. They weren't even close. Mahomes was just a guy who in college looked pretty good, but people weren't exactly sure and he went at number 10, while the Bears, that team you just discussed as being as mediocre as they are, traded up to get Mitchell Trubisky at two. Imagine if the Bears, with the defense that they have, which wouldn't be exactly the same, right? This is not a sliding doors thing where you know we can accurately say exactly how the rest of the moves would have gone had they taken Mahomes instead. But let's just say some combination of, of who they've got now plus Mahomes They're a completely different team with a future that looks as bright as what the Chiefs have going on now. Instead, they chose wrong, and they're mediocre as hell, and that 3-13 and season that they had a couple years ago was for naught. And so that's why it's great to say to yourself, on the one hand, I don't want to be mediocre. If we're going to be not good enough, we should be really bad and be able to make a a franchise-changing move in the draft. But there's always a risk of being really bad and not getting a whole lot better. Well, and, and to that end, I always say draft te- bad teams are bad because they draft poorly. I mean, that's one yeah, of the things we see all the time. Sure. So, you know, I, I took a look at it. And, and let me also say a little context here. Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes because he's incredibly talented and gifted, yes. But he also went to a place where he could sit behind Alex Smith where he got the great opportunity to learn how to play this game at the professional level, how to prepare. He also has a With coaching staff yeah. <laughs> that, that knows how to maximize the skills that he has. Like He went into a perfect situation. I don't believe that you could just put Patrick Mahomes in any situation and suddenly he's the same version of himself. It's a forgotten part of the comparison. But I did a quick Google search, and I'm not saying that this is my list, but I just did a current listing of the top NFL quarterbacks in the league today. And I just pulled up with some site that has this listing and they have currently number one, Aaron Rodgers. Fine. We can have that debate. Who cares? But Aaron Rodgers, for the point of this conversation, not the number one overall pick. Patrick Mahomes, not the number one overall pick. Deshaun Watson, notice a trend here. Josh Allen, they have it fourth right now in the NFL. He was picked seventh overall. Russell Wilson up next. Mm-hmm. Tom Brady after that. Ryan Tannehill after let's that. Get, let's go Justin to Justin Tell me about Dak Prescott. Like you got to go the, the, to get the a number one pick overall on this list, I got to go all the way down to 10 to Kyler Murray. I mean, it's a reminder that having the top overall pick that you're going to spend on a quarterback doesn't mean you're getting the guy. I mean, that's just the forgotten part of all of this is, hey, we're going to pick top overall and that's going to save the franchise. The problem is most of the best quarterbacks we're talking about were not picked first overall. 
Yeah, and, and I was pointing out Dak Prescott, not because the Cowboys are, are good or he's fixed them, but he was 135th in the draft, right? And he is uh, in the mix to be, assuming he comes back from injury, one of the highest paid and most highly sought after quarterbacks. That's why you can be sad as a Jets fan that what looked like the only redeeming quality of this season would be a Trevor Lawrence in the draft. You could be sad about that, and I completely get where you're coming from. I think you're right to be. Now, that's not a guarantee. We never know what's going to happen over the final couple weeks. But at the same time, you need a team and a front office that's going to be good enough that it can't rely on that one draft pick to get better. And and the Jets have a whole host of problems that go beyond one position. Yeah, just for a reminder, for a moment of positivity, yes, we don't know where Kyler Murray is going to sit. We don't know where Baker Mayfield is going to sit. It's very early for both of them in their trajectory. But – Certainly, while Matt Stafford has had a great, lot of great yards, uh, top overall pick, I don't know that a lot of people are clamoring. Jared Goff, somebody that the world's been up and down on. When you start looking at the top overall picks that are quarterbacks, remember when Jameis Winston was supposed to be a franchise saver. There is no assurance that picking top overall is going to get you the guy, even with Trevor Lawrence. So if I'm a Jets fan, the one one positive I could take is that we still got to see how the draft unfolds moving forward. All right, we've got a lot of college football to get into. I said it earlier. We will do that next. The college football playoffs are set. The question is, has the committee still lost their mind? I think so. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Sunday is usually all about the NFL, but... Not this weekend, as the college football playoff committee decided they wanted to join in the party for their annual final college football playoff rankings that come out on Sunday. The question is, now that they've spoken, did they get it right? It's Bain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Shell Penzo Performance Line. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, and Sarah, not a lot of surprise to some in the final four as we got Alabama number one, Clemson number two, an Ohio State team that didn't play a lot of games comes in at number three after the ACC championship blowout, and then Notre Dame comes in at number four. Now, there was some contention on whether or not Texas A&M, sitting at five in the final rankings, would had the opportunity to move up, uh, but that didn't happen. So the committee came out and gave us a final four that gives us, and uh, you know, in the world of trash talking, gives us a rematch of Notre Dame, Alabama. The last time that they taught that they played was a national championship game that one Mike Golick Jr. played in. And uh, got his butt whooped. So I was I was with him yesterday when he saw the rankings come out and there was silence. And his only comment was, well, that's a thing. That's all he had to say. And he's like, he's like, why do I feel like for the next week I'm going to see a bunch of highlights I don't want? Lo and behold, uh-huh. we already had them queued up ready for him. So we got oh, no. to show him that moment right there. He got the highly questionable treatment where I've been forced to watch uh, Cody Parkey double doink every time I've been on that show for the last year and a half. Um Yeah, I mean, listen, this is exactly what I expected. It's exactly what I said when I did all the shows on Friday. We're going to see the four teams that we've seen almost as if they were chosen before the season began and almost whatever happened, we were going to end up here. That's not to say that if there had been a massive loss to an unranked team or something, but it felt like this is what they wanted. And the four teams that are in this playoff have accounted for over 60% of the berths in the history of the college football playoffs. 17 of the 28 times that a team has played, it's been one of these four teams. And for good reason, right? These are highly respected programs that recruit great players that are pretty consistently among the top in the in the in the college football landscape. But there are moments, Fitz, where you wonder to yourself, if we're going to take the name and the reputation of a team into account, 
at the beginning of the season, when we do preseason rankings and throughout the college football playoff rankings, even when they've played two games or haven't played anyone good, like in this, like in the case of Ohio State, don't you also want to take into account the precedent that they've set in previous appearances? And Notre Dame has shrunk on the biggest stages, including against Clemson this past weekend. Peter Burns on Best Week Ever talked about how this is not new from the Irish. Out of the last 20 years, it's death taxes and the fighting Irish failing on a massive level when it comes to a New Year's Six game, a college football playoff game, or a BCS title game, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's when you know that it, when it's a huge stage, they've lost those games by an average of 23 points per game. They have not even been competitive. We saw it last night. Clemson could have beat them by 40 at full strength. Do we think anything will change whatsoever? I don't believe that it will. So Fitz, would it be more interesting to just see another team and give another team a chance? Or is the fact that they beat Clemson minus Trevor Lawrence by the skin of their teeth earlier this season enough to make it deserving for them to be back in here so that's the toughest part about it because yes for me it'd be incredibly interesting to see anybody uh anybody else in it really <laughs> uh i'll be on like like there's a part MIT, of me that's just, come I, on I, like, we, have to, we have to set a line somewhere i, I mean let's put harvard <laughs> in there let's see where it goes you know but i think that the, the hard part about it is i always go back to what they're charged with doing which is find the four best teams now uh, people always ask me, is it four best or four most deserving? And I say the nuance here is it's the four best of the four most deserving. So I have a hard time with the fact that, you know, an undefeated Cincinnati team finished at eight, and I have a hard time with the way they value losses. I mean, Florida lost three games and finishes at seven. So I'm not sure what they decide is most deserving, Sarah, but there is a spot for me where I say, okay, if Notre Dame always gets beat, let's put somebody else in. But they're also supposed to judge this year's team for this year. If they did that, I mean, A&M got their butts kicked by Alabama. Notre Dame got their butts kicked by Clemson. So let's take those out. A&M has a great win over Florida. Well, Notre Dame had a great win over Clemson. Let's take those out. The only other big win for for any of those teams right then is Notre Dame has a win over a 13th ranked uh, or uh, yeah, 13th ranked North Carolina team. So North Carolina, I think was the difference maker here, which sounds weird to say, but Unfortunately for Texas A&M, they just didn't have another big win on their calendar. So it's just it, this is the weirdness of the college football playoff and the way that it, it plays out every year. And and part of the issue, like I think we're going to end up with getting another blowout. Like right now, the the last I saw, the line was 19 and a half for Alabama over Notre Dame. I'm taking Alabama and I'm taking the points like Alabama's going to destroy this team. So I would have loved if we're just going to see a butt whoop and then let Cincinnati get their butts kicked. Yeah, uh, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. One thing I'll say about this is that. because of the subjectivity, you can use a variety of arguments over on one side and then use completely different arguments to argue against everything you just said. (laughs) And in the case of that win over Clemson for Notre Dame, if, if Clemson was, was needing to get in and there was an argument about whether they deserved it. And that loss came up. Everyone would say they didn't have Trevor Lawrence. Doesn't matter how great DJ Uangalalele, who I can only say as Moira Rose, so I'm sorry that I didn't say it correctly. I could only say DJ Uangalalele. But anyway, <laughs> he was good, but he was no Trevor Lawrence. And if it was against Clemson, we would say they didn't have Trevor Lawrence. But when Notre Dame gets the win over them without Trevor Lawrence, we count it as a great win. That does not make sense logically. Either that matters or it doesn't. Well, you're not you're not wrong. I, I mean, everything you just said, like, and Clemson was 
minus three starters. Like to me, on the defensive side of the ball, when you see Clemson do that to Notre Dame, and you know, only I will say, only because I'm pig-headed. I picked Clemson to win by three touchdowns because that's what I said would happen the first time. So I was just sort of beating my head against a wall to see if I could maybe get I picked get them right. to win for good reason because yeah. their game against Notre Dame was the only time in the season that they allowed a team to convert on 40% plus of their third downs. They had they lost the turnover battle. They had three fumbles in that game, and they only had five across the rest of their games that season. There were so many things that went the way of Notre Dame, and they still barely won that you look at Clemson and you say you get Trevor Lawrence and then the regular things all season that worked for you work in this game and you're going to be fine, which is what happened. Yeah, well, and when you see that sort of a butt whooping, it has to do something to the previous matchup, right? Like there has to be this little element where you step back and say, okay, now that we've seen it twice, what's going to happen? And what's interesting is that they put, according to many people, they put Notre Dame in at four largely also because they what they didn't want was Clemson-Notre Dame again in the first round of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I've talked to Junior about it a couple of times, and I consider him obviously an expert on Notre Dame. And one of the things he stressed is that when Clemson gets a second shot at you, you don't beat them. Because Brent Venables, the defensive coordinator, goes in and says, what do we need to do different? That's what he did. I mean, Ian Book had the game of his life the first time. And it's not that his line, his stats are fine on the second game, but he was just getting slaughtered the entire game. And you look at that and say, how much of that is on Venables? And and so you're not going to give Clemson a third look at him. Well, if we're so worried that Notre Dame can't even be competitive with Clemson, the second best team in the country, why are we putting them in? I, I, I mean, I have no problem if they had just wanted to decide that they were going to put, frankly, even Florida gave Alabama a good matchup. Like, give us something that's going to give us a good playoff matchup. If they're just going to make it the eye test, then come out and admit, hey, we're just picking the teams we think have a shot at winning. Well, I still contend that everybody should listen to our massive two-pronged plan, which is that the last week of the season should be left open for any last-minute scheduling that will buoy or bolster the argument for a team that needs to prove that they're belonging, and also uh, that very clearly we need to get it to six, so that if you're going to have that four teams from the Power Five that you know you want to get in there, you offer up the opportunity for some surprises and for for some teams to earn their way in that are a little bit different, that get a shot to prove that they belong. Well, and in a world where the highest-ranked Group of Five team automatically gets a New Year's Six Bowl, put the highest-ranked Group of Five team into the playoff also, which rewards them for the money. I always come back to the money. The money that's being put into football by Cincinnati, Tulsa, Memphis, UCF, all of those schools should be rewarded with at least some opportunity to compete. Spain and Fitz brought to you by Shell, V-Power, Nitro Plus, Premium Gasoline. Obviously, there's a lot to break down with the college football playoffs, so we'll continue to do that with a, a diver- with a breakdown of what the committee was thinking. <laughs> I'll learn how to break speak, too. That's all break coming down. down. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. <laughs> You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. If you want to see some uh, straight fire on the old Twitters, just wait till about 30 seconds after the college football playoff rankings are unveiled every week and head on over to at Nicole Auerbach and uh, just just let her lay it out for you on uh, what she thinks about their decision making. She's going to join us now to talk about the final picks and what she makes of them. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Fitz, of course, cheating on me as always with his Monday show. He'll be back in just a little bit. ESPN presented by Progressive Insurance. Guest join us on the Shell Penzel Performance Line. Coming up, the Athletics, Nicole Auerbach. Nicole, I've loved watching your reactions. We're always in the middle of the show when they hit. So I'll be scrolling and looking to see your take. And the final four... Pretty much exactly as you expected and we all expected from week one, really. 
Yeah, it was the same four teams the whole time. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I, that part I'm okay with. I mean, there is certain criteria that they appeared to be following, and, and that's why you go with Notre Dame over Texas A&M or whoever else, um, you know, it, it, for that fourth spot. But, yeah, kind of crazy. I mean, the, the first rankings when you had a 4-0 Ohio State team in the top four – really signaled that the committee, like Ohio State, didn't really care how many games they played. So we really should have known this like a month ago. We were all hand-wringing about the Big Ten Championship game and all these other things. But the committee liked these four teams pretty much all along. And Notre Dame had such a cushion that they were able to be blown out in the ACC Championship game and still make it. I guess I'm wondering whether you're on my side that this was an easier year because they didn't really have – any way for people to check their work, it was going to be incredibly subjective or tougher because there weren't any benchmarks to use. Um, so I think it was easier for the sense of, I think people tried to manufacture drama with Texas A&M, but like it was pretty clear who was going to be the top four. Um, harder in general, because I think a lot of the strength of schedule metrics rely on non-conference games. And you didn't really have them, but the committee also ignored them. So it was probably <laughs> easier in that sense, too, because the Sun Belt won 3-0 and against the Big 12 one day, and the committee decided to just totally ignore that. Nicole Auerbach of The Athletic with us here on Spain and Fitz. Uh, Nicole, you mentioned same four teams. I'm always thinking that at times they make their picks a little bit for content purposes. If they mean nothing other than just to put out into the world your feelings – and they have no impact on the next game that's going to be played or a tournament or anything else until the last one, then you anticipate them to sort of move things around just to get reactions. Are you surprised that they never dramatically moved anyone out of that top four throughout the year? Well, I guess they started a little bit later because, you know, some of these leagues started late. Um, so, so maybe that helps a little bit. But it was one of those years, too, though, where, like, the top two teams were very clear, and then it was really just about, okay, did Ohio State get enough games in? And, you know, what, what's it going to look like when Clemson's full strength against Notre Dame, right? So it was, like, pretty straightforward. Um, I, you know, it, it is it is bothersome that we go through this exercise of, you know, like, waiting to see how they feel and, and how they justify things every single week when it didn't change throughout the season. And one of the teams that got in, you know, lost its conference championship game, which we hadn't seen before. So, you know, I've got a lot of issues with the way this particular committee acted. And and I understand that it was the weirdest of years. You're comparing teams that had six games versus 10 versus 11, whatever. Um, But, man, I mean, you know, I just – I don't – I just don't like it. I I don't like that it was the same four teams. I think you could have especially – even if you liked Ohio State a lot – the very first rankings, you did not have to include them in the top four. You could have said, we really like this team, but we want to see a little bit more. But that basically telegraphs the decision the rest of the way. It does. It does, unless there's something dramatic that happened. But many, you included, seem to feel like it wouldn't really matter unless it was a, like a, a loss to the you know Virginia School of Math and Science or something, that they were going to find a way to get these teams in. How much of that do you think is based on just eyeballs and, and TV ratings and popularity and whether they think people will show up to watch if it's that team playing that team? Well, I think you're going to definitely have a lot of those storylines when the three and four teams are Ohio State and Notre Dame, right? And we know those are big draws. 
Um, but but I think that, you know, the larger issue there is they set it up and then they clearly acted in such a way that it was only going to be looking at teams that were big brand names in power conferences that would draw eyeballs, right? And I think that's the frustrating part. Like, I don't really understand why they would have put Cincinnati at number seven in the first ranking and then just to pull the rug out from under them. To me, that was unnecessarily cruel and it, you know, at first you're thinking, oh, this is a committee that will actually pay attention to the group of five. It will actually give teams outside of power conferences a shot. And then they decided to start docking them for things that they were not docking anyone else for. And that's what got really frustrating about the whole process because, you know, I mean, again, it's it's fine. I, have, I, I honestly don't really have a problem with Ohio State and Notre Dame being three and four. But four really shouldn't have been a conversation about Notre Dame versus A&M. Cincinnati should, be a, should have been in that conversation. But they set it up in a way that they were so far removed from the conversation that you knew that wasn't even what they were comparing. That was apples to oranges. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Jason Fitz will be back in just a little bit. We're talking to Nicole Auerbach of The Athletic. As for the Notre Dame thing, we were just talking about this, me and Fitz. Does it matter if you're kind of letting them in, in part because – they're a program that you know the name, you know the history, they're regularly in contention. Don't you also have to know that pretty regularly on the highest stages, they don't show up? Uh, there was a stat we heard from, um, man, I'm going to forget the exact number, but it's something like an average of 23 points that they've lost their their playoff games and championship games in the past. Does that matter at all when you want to make sure you don't get another blowout in the playoffs? Well, it's not supposed to, and, and again, but also it's not supposed to matter conference affiliations, supposed to matter the team name of these programs, right? <laughs> but, it, but it obviously does because they know who they're playing. They know, who, you know, it's not like blind resumes. Maybe with college basketball, you could sort of, you have enough data points, you could kind of blindly compare resumes, but you, you can't with football. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if, um, if that's something that, you know, is, 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 can be considered because it, it's certainly subconsciously something you know about these teams and you are trying to set up. Like I, I genuinely believe that the idea of, or the question of do you have a, a, a rematch or a rematch of a rematch of so third time that Clemson and Notre Dame would play in one season. I think that should be in the back of your head because you are thinking about the matchups themselves for the semifinals. And I think you should try to avoid that. Right. But I, the idea that, like, in the past they've had programs that have fallen flat in these situations, that's tough because we, we did see them in the top five showdown in South Bend. We saw them win, but obviously Clemson wasn't full strength, so it sort of takes something away from that now. But, you know, you're not supposed to. You're not supposed to hold something that they did last year against them, right? So theoretically it shouldn't come into play. I do think it's already coming into play in terms of the line for the game, the storylines, the expectations for the matchup. And everyone's wondering, oh, is this going to be, you know, same old Notre Dame that, that does this and kind of totally discounting what they did um, to Clemson and South Bend earlier this year. But, you know, I, I think that's fair. And, and I think it's okay if that's the storyline. It's okay if, you know, the it's like a 20-point spread, whatever. That That is what it is. But I don't think you could say, oh, well, we're not going to include them despite the fact that they have the best win in the country and uh, their second win is a lot better than Texas A&M's. With second win because you know in 2012 they got blown out in a championship game so so I, I get that we think that and we're not as excited for that semifinal as the other one but that shouldn't come into play in the decision making 
It's Spain and Fitz talking to the athletic college football reporter, Nicole Auerbach. Keep bringing that fire on the Twitter. Thanks so much for the insight and thanks for the time. Anytime, Sarah. ESPN Radio has you covered for bowl game action. Tune in tomorrow night for the RoofClaim.com Boca Raton Bowl presented by Merrill. Coverage begins at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Coming up, Brooke Pryor going to get you set for Monday Night Football. Just a minute. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Well, if anybody thinks the Steelers are in the midst of a struggle or maybe feeling down or unsure of what the future looks like after a couple tough games, nobody tell Juju Smith-Schuster that because he's dancing on logos and posted to TikTok and he's got all the swagger of a guy whose team is still 11-2. and two. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Fitz will be back after cheating on me with his Monday Night Football show in just a few minutes. But joining us now... With the Monday Night Football Preview, brought to you by Progressive Insurance, is ESPN NFL Nation Steelers reporter Brooke Pryor, uh, who just posted the aforementioned Juju Smith-Schuster dancing. Uh, Brooke, I guess he's not really worried about whether teams will take offense to this because he's out there on the logo doing his thing. Exactly. I mean, look, Juju has been himself this entire season, really his entire tenure with the Steelers. He's been the same guy. And he said when we talked to him, I think it was earlier this week, that he wasn't going to stop this. And he's been dancing on logos all season. It only became an issue when the Bills used it as motivation to beat the Steelers in Sunday night football. And look, is it disrespectful? Yes. Is it also just who Juju is? Also, yes. To me, the most absurd thing about the whole situation is that he does the same dance on the logo every time. (laughs) I mean, at least this time he added the footballs and the spike and like, that's more fun. But, hey, man, if you're going to dance on the logo every week, at least mix it up with, with new moves or a new a new routine. Just, you know, add, add a little something extra to it. Yeah, you know, that's a great point. Uh, if you're going to give yourself the attention and the spotlight, at least mix up the dances so that people have something to practice on TikTok, right? I mean, it, they're going to probably recreate that at home. Uh, maybe he's Maybe he's getting inspired – you know, we know Ray Lewis had the same the same dance every time. Maybe he feels like this is his signature. Uh, if that's the case, I think that's he needs, true. To, needs to add some flair. If it's going to be a signature dance, we need a couple more. We need a couple more twirls and some more signature moves. Exactly. I mean, look, it can't be a superstitious thing at this point because he's done it and they've lost. So now that's is true. your chance. Change it up. I mean, this is the guy who walked around on Halloween dressed as himself in a full uniform, so I hope other teams kind of take it with a little bit of a grain of salt knowing who Juju is. Uh, We're talking to Brooke Pryor, who covers the Steelers for ESPN. What is the mood of the team? Obviously not Juju, who seems unfazed, but I would imagine the team is kind of starting to wonder how much uh, the recent games are an indication of how they might fare against the best teams in the league. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely some frustration that they've now had I mean, I know, I know that it's just two losses in a row, but that Ravens game that they barely won, to me, that almost felt like a loss. And it, it felt like something that should have been a wake-up call for the game against the Washington football team. That didn't work. It felt like, okay, well, maybe this game is going to be the wake-up call. That, that didn't work against the Bills. So it feels like this is a team that, that badly needs to rebound. And I think that there is some growing frustration that the same thing keeps happening week after week, especially on the offense. But – I think the biggest thing is that by the time they got to the Bills game, this was just a really tired team and a team that had dealt with a lot of injuries, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, they were having their replacements getting hurt and having to go to some of, in some cases, their third string, even fourth string guys 
um, especially inside linebacker with those guys getting hurt or going on the COVID list. They played three games in 12 days. I think this was a team that was just mentally, emotionally, and physically exhausted. And for them, having this full week with a bonus day playing Monday Night Football, I think is going to be the biggest benefit because not only can they get their guys some rest, I think they're actually going to have an opportunity to fix some of the things that were going wrong on the offensive side of the ball, you know, practice some of the jet sweep motion, some of the things that take some more practice time to nail down that they just weren't getting in between the other games. But, I mean, when we talked to them this week, they all said, hey, guys, we're not panicking. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger specifically said, we are not panicking. Take a deep breath. It, it wasn't quite quite Aaron Rodgers relaxed, mm-hmm. but he's saying, guys, just, just take a breath. You know, we they're in the playoffs at this point, which is something they hadn't done in the previous two years. And if they win tonight, they're in a position to win the AFC North. So, yes, the last couple weeks have been really bad, but when you zoom out, they have time to correct it, but they do need to fix it before they can get to the playoffs and and hope to have any kind of postseason success. Well, a meeting with the Bengals minus Joe Burrow should certainly help, but they're not 100% healthy. Uh, What's their running back situation look like? Well, it's not good. Uh, James Conner is out with a quad injury. Uh, He was questionable. Don't know when the quad injury was suffered because the team did not make Connor available this week. And Mike Tomlin, as usual, is pretty coy uh, discussing injuries. Just said, by the way, he has a quad injury. Uh, but that means that the Steelers are going to be rolling with Benny Snell, Jalen Samuels, and Anthony McFarland. McFarland was inactive last week. He was the guy that Roethlisberger targeted on fourth down against the Washington football team on a wheel route when he only had five receptions prior to that. So that didn't go very well, I might imagine. Um, But I I think that running game is still a huge concern because when Benny Snell took over for James Conner in the two games that he was on the COVID list, he did not play very well. It was the run game as a whole was just not good. Um, And I think that also part of the problem there was that the passing game wasn't very good either. uh, And defenses were just, I mean, just stymieing them completely at the line of scrimmage. So you have to hope that maybe this week they practiced like they were expecting James Conner not to play and maybe got these guys some more reps and some more, you know, opportunity to figure out different pre-snap movement. Like I mentioned, those jet sweeps, something other than what they were doing in those two games without James Conner, because their run numbers were atrocious. I mean, it was, it is hard to watch. They looked like the 2019 version of this offense. And that's not what we expected having Ben Roethlisberger back this year. Well, and speaking of Roethlisberger, by the way, talking to Brooke Pryor, ESPN NFL Nation Steelers reporter, um, they need the run game to be good because Roethlisberger's numbers, especially on deep balls, are not great. His yards per attempt, his yards per completion, all down near the bottom. Um, He said today he wants to come back for next season. Um, What do you think will happen if he does return, and how limited is Ben in terms of being able to throw a full game plan at him and a, a full playbook? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, Ben Roethlisberger has to come back for next season. Even before uh, Schefter reported today that that was the plan, this guy's cap hit is over $41 million. You know, I think at this point the expectation has been that he was not only going to come back next season, but perhaps that there's a contract restructure in the work, a contract restructure and an extension, because that's just such a huge cap hit that they can't really afford a ton of stuff around him, especially with the cap dropping or expected to drop in the coming seasons. I think the bigger issue with Ben is his his off-target rate against the Bills was higher than it's been in quite a while. I think that that is just 
you know, a product of not practicing the deep ball as much. You know, it was interesting this week. Uh, Randy Figner, the offensive coordinator, said, hey, we're going to work on the deep ball in practice. That's definitely going to be something that we are going to focus on. I believe he said that uh, Thursday. And then Ben Roethlisberger didn't practice on Thursday. And this is a guy who takes days off during the week. But to me, it is a little bit concerning that you promise that, oh, we're going to work on the deep ball. It's important for the receivers to catch the ball with Ben to work on that timing. And then the day that you say you're, you're dedicating to the deep ball, your quarterback doesn't practice. And I get that he's a veteran, but still, when you're working with some of these younger receivers, I think that you need to be in practice to work on that connection. Um, but I, to me, I think that, yes, he needs to be more on target. I don't think that he's drastically limited by his elbow at this point. To me, the bigger problem is just that his receivers can't seem to hang on to the ball, whether it's mm-hmm. a deep ball, an intermediate pass, or even one close to the line of scrimmage. Their drop rate, I think, was nine, almost 10% in the last three weeks. That's a huge problem, and I think that that just makes Roethlisberger look worse and his completion numbers look worse because he's not able to get his receivers the ball and have them actually hold on to it and make a play. So if they can do that, if Deontay Johnson can hold on to the ball in back-to-back opening series, opening drives, I think that, that Ben will look better. I think everybody in the organization and outside will take a deep breath that no, he's not the the gunslinger from 10 years ago, but he's still a fully capable quarterback and and able to run this offense. Yeah, the only downside to if the Steelers receivers start catching balls is that we don't get as much fire from Mike Tomlin afterwards. And, uh, (laughs) you know, the sound bites, they're so golden that I I don't know if I want them to improve improve in that area. I kind of want to see if his head will actually unscrew and remove itself from his body next time that happens. Uh, Brooke, thanks so much for the insight. Uh, Next time, I would appreciate if you would learn the TikTok juju dance, and you can uh, post it before your next appearance here on the show. I've got it. I'm going to start practicing at halftime. Perfect. Love it. Brooke Pryor, ESPN (laughs) NFL Nation, Steelers reporter, brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $750 on average. Call or click today and find out if we could save you hundreds on your car insurance. Um, uh, Up over on the Spain and Fitz Nation, some people have some thoughts about Ben uh, Roethlisberger, and they also have some thoughts about Juju and why he feels so comfortable doing those dances. Uh, If I ain't slowed, can't listen to it. Just hit us up on the Dr. Pipper Twitter feed and said he can do what he wants in this soft bleep league these days. So I guess he's hoping somebody calls him out. That's from the Spain and Fitz Nation. Coming up, Jamel Hill going to teach us some things about the solstice. Get ready. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. A couple weeks ago, a random Twitter user at Lottie Dot. Uh, accused the government of using the vaccine to change the genetic code of humans, specifically black people, because they are genetically stronger, smarter, and more creative. But on December 21st, uh, that would be the 21st, easy for me to say, the real DNA of black people would be unlocked and the majority would be able to do things only thought about in fiction, all because of the winter solstice and the great conjunction where Jupiter and Saturn make a conjunction in the age of Aquarius, initiating a new 200 year era for humanity. This is all true ish, according to certain people. And last night, Twitter went off on, uh, you know, leading up to midnight before today, December 21st, uh, as all black people, of course, started to figure out what their superpowers were going to be. We needed to find out about all of this here on Spain and Fitz. Fitz will be back in just a minute. Uh, but joining us now to give us the straight talk, the solstice straight talk, the superpower straight talk, uh, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless, is none other than the birthday girl, Jamel Hill. 
Jamel, first of all, how are the superpowers so far? Um, uh, so I'm waiting. I mean, like, I feel <laughs> like there's some I already had, but then I'm like, I got to be getting a new set, right? Like, this, is, this can't be ending <laughs> just like this. So I'm like, all right. And I joked about it on Twitter, though I was sort of serious. It's like, if you give me the superpower to fold a fitted sheet, like, watch out. That's it. Watch out. That's all you need. Like, that's the. I mean, that's all I need. Like, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> worried for you because not only are you a black woman, and it is the solstice, and it is the great conjunction, and it is December 21st, but it's your birthday. I feel like maybe you're going to get double the powers, and I don't know if you, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, Jamel. Yeah, so I feel like I've already been blessed with the power in the sense that my liver can stand up because it wouldn't have been dead. So, like, <laughs> so my flesh is already good. I feel like I have the Wolverine liver. So I'm like, yo, I'm I'm good on that. But there's some additional powers, you know, that I may need. And here's the thing is, like, when you're an adult, is that the powers you wish for kind of suck because you wish for things like, I wish for the ability not to pay taxes. I wish for the, <laughs> you know, ability for all my joints to work when I wake up. Like, like it's not even fun anymore. Like, when I'm a, as a kid, I feel like you have much more imagination about these things. And I feel like as an Absolutely. adult, I'm just going to wish for stupid adult things and not, like, fun things. <laughs> I mean, I think you should speak for yourself because I guarantee you every man out there is, no, I'm still wishing for the same thing. I want to be invisible and I want to go in a locker room. That's it. That's really all men have ever wanted. That's the only superpower. I mean, and, uh, that, that is not the, I, mean, I hadn't oh, put that at the top of my at, wish list. But if, if I, now, now I'm suddenly amending my wish list. Like if I get superpowers, <laughs> I hadn't thought of that one since I was a kid. Like I'm putting that back in the list. <laughs> Thank you, Fitz, for joining us again on You're your welcome. own show. You're welcome. Uh, yes. Fitz cheats on me twice a week. Uh, we're both melanin deficient, Jamel. And so last night, I have to mm -hmm. admit, I was doing Christmas cards and wrapping paper and watching Home Alone, and I was off the social media for a while. And I came back, and my whole timeline was either talking about Martin Screlly just boning a reporter <laughs> and then ditching her once he got to prison, or black superpowers in <laughs> right. the solstice. And I was so confused. I was like, I haven't been gone that long. So just break it down as, you know, uh, you know, with your with your your strength as a black person, like you're always helping me understand things <laughs> that I have no clue what's going on. What, what's really happening here? And, and 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 why does it have to do with the solstice? City or gender is not helpful because there are gay friends that I have. I'll be like, all right, I'm just going to warn you. We've got to play Ask a Gay Bay. A gay person. Yeah. Like, period. Yeah. Like, it's just we like, always play this game. Episode. I'm like, what does she can get it mean? What's the thirst trap? Correct. <laughs> she can get it. <laughs> right. Like, these are good things. Like, these are good exercises. This is how, you know, the, the, the culturing of America happens. So, what happened was this it was like somebody uh, in the nebulous of Twitter made a joke about black. I, mean, I don't even think it was a joke. Actually, it kind of seemed like it was serious based off the original tweet. <laughs> that black people were going to get superpowers on this day, and then we just ran with it because that's what happens. It's like, once you get us in on a joke, like, we're running with it. So black Twitter took over, and so I've been thinking about what superpowers would be beneficial for me. Most of us have been communing in our own spaces, and on my group chats we've been talking about, like, yo, what is our superpower? Now, <laughs> I have to be honest, many of the superpowers I cannot say on this fine family program because it just would disturb a lot of people. If you say but, Erica Badu, is that is that enough? Yes, it is. That is 
Wow, I got nailed honest, it. That's literally the number one superpower that came up. I was like, ooh, y'all some freaks. If you can be but, charging okay. $50 for incense that has the ashes of your underwear, then that's a good superpower to have. You will <laughs> right. never go broke. Yes. Yes, it's a lot of regeneration of a certain power. That's all I guess. I was like, what? What are you doing? Okay, I'm good. So that has come up cool. I mean, literally, that's number one. So, like, nobody, I mean, it's, you know, black people, like all people, but, like, especially black people, you know, I'm serious about racism. Like, nobody brought up, like, the power to defeat white supremacy. Like, nobody brought it up. It was just like... And COVID. Save the hungry. Exactly. Everybody's like, I would like to regenerate something. I was like, okay, so we aren't as far progressed as I thought. So it's okay. <laughs> I just love listening but, to you guys, like, try and walk around what we're talking about here with these powers. Like, right. this, is, this is my favorite thing in the entire world. Like, so I, I got to... Jamel- I would love it if you knew what I meant when I said Erica Badu's no, superpower. Yeah, no. Yes, I, I, look. And the fact that, that Sarah said Erica Badu, like, I was like... That's why she had the cookout. That's why. Yeah. Listen, I've been learning from you. Look, two two (laughs) things. One, I I got it. Two, even if I didn't get it, you can figure it out listening to the rest of the conversation. (laughs) Like, it doesn't take a lot of brilliance. Uh, uh, All right. So, but let's be real, too. Like, I live in a world of privilege. I'm the first to admit that. Like, I'm a 43-year-old white dude talking about sports, right? So, the question for me is if somebody comes in and says they have powers, do I ask them to prove it or do I not? Like, I feel like I kind of got to take somebody at their word, but then I'm gullible. Like, <laughs> I don't true. know what to do. That might be racist. Yes. You're just like, I don't believe you. Yes. Why? Because right. I'm black? Right. I mean, so, like, now I just, <laughs> I got to take everybody at their word that they have powers. I have no idea how to counter this. So, I feel like if they say they have powers, you don't try to make them into freedom papers. Like, we can't do that, right? It's like, we have to... Just just take their word for it. Even if you're like, you probably don't have powers, but guess what? I'm going to assume you do, and I'm going to amplify and support your powers in this moment. So then everybody's all good, but it's it's a lighthearted moment. It's been it's been great. It's led to a lot of really funny jokes, yeah. and especially thinking about, you know, some of the powers we, A, either already have, or B, we didn't realize were, you know, superpowers. So I've enjoyed this entire ride. And um, by the way, I was like, I told Sarah when she texted me, I was like, I'm going to fight you for doing this on my birthday when you know <laughs> that there's a, a very high possibility I might be drunk by the time that you Yeah, I said even better. That's a superpower, too. Just don't swear and we're good. We're good. And Fitz, as far as other people's powers, as long as you don't tell them to stop playing the superpowers card, I think you'll be fine. I oh. just think that's really where you always get yourself in trouble. Good. Um, <laughs> I'm just over here taking notes feverishly on how to handle this. It's perfect. <laughs> Uh, Jamel, we're out of time. Uh, as always, we love chatting with you. Happy birthday. I hope you have a great birthday. And I think your superpower is just running the entertainment industry because uh, we're we're seeing it from afar and we're loving watching it. So keep crushing it. No, I, I actually want the finishing thing. Like, that's great. Like, I'm good. Yeah, that's fine in the show. Like, that's cool. But, like, I, I want my cla- I want my linen closet to look like a normal person put cheeks in there. Like, I'm like, Listen, you are you are famous enough now that you could absolutely call up the home edit. Get those girls in your house fixing up your linen closet. Like, what's the point of being famous if you can't get those Instagram ladies into your house and make everything color coordinated? <laughs> you're, you're you're right. This is my next start. I appreciate yeah. that. Thank you, Sarah. Nathan. You're welcome. You're right, yeah, my my superpower has always been telling other people what to do. So I'm still good, solstice or not. Uh, Jamel, we love you. Thanks for the time. Enjoy your birthday. You're the best, Jamel.
All right. And by Hill. the way, so, it, yeah. that totally everything you just said reminds me of the SNL as we are both fans Christmas gift where he's like, if I only had, yeah, one, I only wish, had one wish, it would be, be for all, all the, the children. The, well, I mean, forget the children. The world. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Keep the children. If I had two wishes, <laughs> straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromises. It's Steve Martin. Look it up. It's great. Up next. We go back to the worst of teams and the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, on their first win. It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. A tough season for Jets fans just got a little tougher with a win. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance, Sarah Spain, Jess, Jason Fitz. Good that I know my own name. All of our guests appear on the Shell Penzo performance line. And let's go straight over to that Shell Penzo performance line where Rich Samini, ESPN Jets reporter, joins us. And Rich, thanks for the time. Uh, Obviously, Jets fans a little heartbroken to get that one win that finally comes. So, you know, how? uh, give me some sort of sense around the organization of how they're feeling today with one win that may take them out of the top overall pick. Well, the Jets are on cloud nine. I mean, uh, to listen to them talk about their red eye flight home from LA last night. It just sounded like it was, uh, you know, a party, a party plane. You know, just celebrating their win. I mean, Adam Gase said it was the most excited he's ever seen a team after a win. And you're talking about a guy who, you know, a few years ago was the offensive coordinator of Denver, which went to the Super Bowl. And he, he, you know, Sam Darnold said the same thing. He goes, "This meant the world to us." So. Evidently, they're tuning out the outside noise of the fan base and just celebrating her in their own little world. Yeah, it's actually really sad. I know it's fun to make jokes, and they certainly deserve them after a season like this. But it's really sad that these great professional athletes uh, who are putting their bodies on the line every week have this moment of success and something to be celebrated. And they know as well as anyone else that the fans are not enjoying the win and that the fans are wishing that they had lost. Are you actually seeing any comments or, or quotes from any of the players about that sort of weird cognitive dissonance? Yeah, it, it's a great point. It is sad. And I asked Connor McGovern, their starting center, uh, the other day. This was actually before the game, so they were still 0-13 at that point. And I asked them about, you know, just hearing the noise on social media and fans rooting for them to lose so they could get Trevor Lawrence. And he And he basically said – you know, winning is the most important thing, you know, not developing talent or playing for a draft pick. And he goes for the, you know, a lot of people, it's easy to sit on your couch and eat your pizza, chips and dip and say the team should lose. But that's not how we, that's not how we think as players. And when I posted that quote on social media, I was shocked by the fan backlash, just going after Connor McGovern to the point where, McGovern and his wife even came on social media to defend, you know, to defend his comments. And so that's just a little small sampling about how the fan base is just so riled up by this uh, victory yesterday. So, Rich, maybe I've lost my mind, but stick with me for a second. I mean, it's possible just in general that I've lost my mind. But you're talking about a team with $72 million, according to over the cap, uh, in cap space next year. And now they sit with the number two overall pick. Justin Fields is a quarterback that is highly regarded. There is no doubt about it. But given the needs of this roster, could you make the argument that the Jets are actually in a better position with the second overall pick because it makes them more likely to trade that pick for a bounty in return, which will help them rebuild the entirety of their roster, not just one position? 
Well, that's one way to go. I, I'm probably in the other camp where I, I thought Trevor Lawrence would have been, you know, great for this organization. And, and look, there's still a chance. I mean, it's not over yet. I mean, maybe if the Jets could beat the Rams, maybe Jacksonville can beat one of these last two teams. Who knows? But maybe, probably not likely. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I see where you're going, Jason, with that because, you know, the Jets, if they're not in love with one of those quarterbacks at number two, like Fields, they could trade down, get more draft picks to an already pretty good stockpile of picks that they already have and really fill a lot of holes because, let's face it, their roster stinks right now. They have so many holes on this roster. And they could go in that direction and just ride with Sam Darnold. You know, that comes with its own risks because, let's face it, Sam has not been a good quarterback for three years. And so there's there's risk in that decision as well. So either way, it, it's kind of risky. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance, ESPN NFL Nation. Jets reporter Rich Samini here with us on the Shell Penzel performance line. Um are you getting a feeling as the, the season uh, gets near the close and, you know, obviously the last couple games matter in terms of draft position and everything else, but are you getting a feeling for how much turnover there'll be in all the coaching positions, front office, and anywhere else with this team? I think the front office will remain the same. Joe Douglas has been on the job for only two years, and he has a six-year contract. So I, I do not see any way the Jets' ownership will, will eat that contract. So he'll be on board for next year as well as, as he should. I mean, he's only had one really one off season to try to rebuild this roster. So he'll be in place. And I think the coaching staff will be entirely wiped out. Uh, I don't think uh, Adam Gase and his, his crew will be back. I think they'll have a new coaching staff and they'll be in the market for all new coaches. And, uh, you know, there's going to be a tremendous amount of roster turnover because as I said, I mean, really, I could probably count on one hand how many like building block type players they have. I mean, the Pro Bowls came out tonight. The announcements, uh, as expected, the Jets did not have anyone. They really only have two foundational players. I would say Quinnen Williams and Mekhi Becton. And beyond that, it's uh, it's kind of slim. So there'll be a tremendous roster turnover as well. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Quoting home insurance just got easier with Progressive's home quote explorer. Quoting by all online at Progressive.com. Rich, you just mentioned the name Quinn and Williams. There were a lot of trade rumors uh, around him circulating uh, during the trade deadline portion of this season. So uh, in your mind, when we get to the offseason, are the Jets done with the unloading of talent for more equity of the future at this point? Are the, are the guys that were in those rumors going to be stable with the Jets in your mind? I think so, Jason. Well, like, you know, the, the rumors around Quinnen were, were just basically fiction. They never really had any intention of trading him this year. Uh, they got a couple of calls, but they, they never really entertained any thoughts. But, you know, your point is well taken because this team seems to, when they do get a good player, they seem to, you know, upset him and trade him. And the case in point is Jamal Adams, who just made a Pro Bowl, you know, with Seattle, you know, who just made the playoffs for the first time in his career with Seattle. And so uh, he's loving life in the Pacific Northwest, and the Jets really never filled his spot on the roster. Now, they did get a couple of first-round draft picks. They'll have to uh, make good use of those to make that a worthwhile trade, so they can definitely use that draft capital to their advantage. But right now, it hurt them in the short term. And, and when they do get these players like the Beckton's and the Quinn and Williams is, you know, you gotta, you gotta develop them and extend them and keep them, you know, long-term instead of just trading them away 
year after year. It's just, I mean, if you look at the last, you know, 10 drafts that the Jets have had, whenever they do get a good player, which is rare, and they just end up trading him away. So, you know, let's see if the Jets can uh, change the trend in in the coming years. Well, unfortunately, as we both, uh, well, as we all agreed, uh, even if they are still able to get Trevor Lawrence, it doesn't fix the whole rest of that roster and all their other issues. Uh, so lots of work still yet to be done. Thanks so much for the insight, Rich. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Rich. Yeah, I think, Sarah, it's it's such an interesting spot to be in because Justin Fields is somebody that a lot of people are very high on. And, you know, coming into the season, there were some that thought he could even challenge Trevor Lawrence for being the top pick. He's had a couple of down moments during the course of this season, but it's COVID-19. Like, Justin Fields is still supposed to be a great quarterback, but – you know, the Jets thought Sam Darnold was going to be a great quarterback, too. There are going to be quarterbacks out on the free agent market, too. So I just don't think it's ever as simple as, well, now we're going to suddenly go to the draft and that's going to be the fix for all things quarterback related. Yeah, and I think it's just one of those things where when you start your season and you realize how bad you're going to be, there needs to be that light at the end of the tunnel. And it's always been in the form of Trevor Lawrence. Since before even the season began and people had an inkling that they might not be great, that's always been this sort of saving grace. And so it's hard to rejigger those expectations. You know, it's tough. You're, you're absolutely right about that. Up next, we'll figure out whether some of our colleagues have good takes or hot takes in one of our favorite segments of the week on Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Monday Night Football is underway. Steelers and Bengals. Going at it. We'll get you some updates on that soon. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN presented by Progressive Insurance. And we had another week of the NFL giving us some good takes, some hot takes as people react to the last couple weeks of the season before the playoffs get going. And uh, as usual, Dan Orlovsky, the star of the show. Um, we're trying to <laughs> wrangle Dan for early next year, near the end of the season, so we can go through some of his uh, greatest takes, both hot and good and uh, see where he's landed on some of the things that we've all been waffling on, some of those topics we've had some mood swings on. Uh, so let's start with our good take, hot take MVP. Dan Orlovsky talking about Bruce Arians and the ways that he may be hurting the Bucks' ability to succeed. It's the same story with them throughout the year. They've got seven double-digit deficits this season. And so often it's like, what's taking us time to get going here? Why is our plan so poor? And when Bruce Arians asked that question yesterday, like I told our team, if we can play 30 minutes of good football, why can't we play 60? With all due respect, Coach, that's my job to ask that question. His job is to figure out that and then find the solution. So Fitz, is it Arians' fault that the Bucks haven't been rounding into better form as the season comes near the end? That's or a hot take. Ooh, okay. That's a hot take. I mean – in-game adjustments are something you have to credit a coach for, right? Like, And so uh, the fact that they've started slow at different times may mean that uh, the, the script where they're getting beat, fine. But uh, if I'm going to give him some sort of a, a knock for that, then I need to give him credit for adjusting within the game. And that's obviously happening. I mean, we're holding Tampa Bay to a different standard than, for example, the Chiefs who had won six straight games by one score or less, right? So we look at that for Kansas City, and we're like, look, they just find a way to win. For Tampa Bay, it's, oh, they're starting slow because Arian's a failure. I, I'm just not buying it. Uh, to me, it feels like in the Chiefs' case, it's a matter of toying with their prey, right? They're oh. not using their best weapons and their best play calling against the teams that aren't that great, and they kind of, 
you know, ease their way into a victory. With the Bucs, I don't know if it feels like that. They've averaged the sixth fewest yards per play in the first quarter all season, the second lowest first down percentage, the 13 fewest points. They've punted the ball the second most amount of times in the first quarter of any team. And on defense, they've given up the most first quarter touchdowns and the second most points in the first quarter in the NFL and the third most yards per play and the sixth fewest sacks and allowed the high eighth highest first down percentage. Like all of these statistics point to a team that takes the field and isn't ready to go. And I feel like that's got to be on coaching. It's defensive. It's offensive. It's not something you blame on Tom Brady's old bones warming into form. It sounds to me like a team that takes too long to get going, and that's not going to work in the postseason against other quality opponents. I don't disagree with anything you just said. I think the only counter to it for me is that – Clip that one off too. Yeah, I I think the, (laughs) the only counter to it is that then he adjusts. So I think that's where where I don't put a lot of blame on Arians because well, the fact the that they get is, better. Though, could he uh, – those adjustments, they're against teams that they're better than. What happens against a team that isn't the Falcons, that isn't consistently underperforming? Can they adjust enough to come back if the deficit's too big and the other team too strong? Fair, fair. Just how often do we see coaches that seem to have a great game plan on their 15 scripted plays and then we get into it and True. it's like, man – you're just going to see this team get beat in the second half, but especially in the world of adjustments. And there were a lot of adjustments. For example, I think New Orleans did a great job in that Chiefs game of adjusting a lot defensively in the second half. Really helped them out in some ways. The second half, the Saints were better coached than the Chiefs were. So, like, I just – it feels like there's a balance on it. I, I think it's fair to put some of the blame on Arians, but also some of the credit for the way they adjust. Yeah, I just – I look at the last six games – Their wins were against the Falcons, Vikings, and Panthers. And their losses were to the Chiefs, the Rams, and the Saints. That's fair. That's That's, fair. That's playing well against uh, bad teams and and not playing well enough against good ones. All right, moving on. Speaking of bad teams, here's Mark. uh, Mark. (laughs) I'm already on vacation. Here's Mike Greenberg talking about his Jets. The Jets are now not going to get that first pick, and so they become now the franchise that has nothing. They have nothing going for them. They have a bunch of cap space. They had that two years ago. Two years ago, they had a high draft pick who might be a quarterback. They had that three years ago. They're just right back on the hamster wheel, which is what happens when your ownership, when your leadership, when the people at the top are incompetent and clueless. That's what happens, and that's what has happened to them. So they're not better off than they were yesterday. They're much, much worse. It is exclusively about what is better for the franchise, and there is nothing, nothing better about being 1-15 without Trevor Lawrence than being 0-16 with him. So this was an absolute disaster for the franchise yesterday. And Adam Gase, who has been the worst thing I could ever imagine for the Jets over the last two years of their present, leaves them without a future as well when he goes in two weeks. Fitz, good take or hot take that this has set them back for another 15 years? Boiling hot take. (laughs) This is like... I mean, Greeny's got to get out of his feels here. Like, there's yeah. this moment where you can tell him. that he's hurt. <laughs> like, he's and, and look, I get it. As as I always say with the Raiders, like, I wish that I could turn off the part of me that just sits there on the couch for hours after a loss and just 
goes over it in my brain over and over and over again. And by the time I get to Monday, I'm somewhere between depressed and angry. Like, I understand everything Greeny's going through as a fan. But you've got to look. And, and I just did a simple Google search. And, and without getting into the schematics of their list, I did a Google search of the top 20 or the top quarterbacks of 2020. And this is their list. But without the order, just importantly, Aaron Rodgers, not a first overall pick. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, not a first overall pick. Uh, Deshaun Watson, not a first overall pick. Josh Allen, notice the trend here, not a first overall pick. Russell Wilson next up. Tom Brady, Ryan Tannehill, Justin Herbert. You have to get all the way to number nine on this particular list to get to the top overall pick of Kyler Murray. And then uh, even go further down the list. Matthew Stafford's the next number one overall pick. Like We are treating Trevor Lawrence like he is Jesus, and we don't know right now how great a pro he's going to be. Yeah, it stinks in this moment because we all think it's going to be lights out for Trevor Lawrence and he's going to be great. But you don't know and you still have the second overall pick in the draft. If you're the Jets, you are locked in with a lot of cap space and a lot of draft capital. So the fact that you're not getting one player doesn't outweigh the need to build a roster of 53 better players than they have right now. Look at the totality of what they're trying to build instead of just focusing on one player because last time I checked, having a great quarterback with a junk team around you doesn't make you great so nothing's been lost for the for the Jets until they actually play with whoever they get good stuff I'll only add also 15 years so there's never going to be another quarterback available that they can be bad for and then get in the draft and then get better like that just doesn't make any sense like if you want to say in the next year maybe two even but come on 15 years that's that's an expectation of understanding anything about the league or the team uh, ask us in 2019 what we thought was going to happen this year. Oh yeah. So if you think you could see 15 years in advance, oh boy. Such a great, right. such a great point, by the way. Because think of in the last few years, Joe Burrow is an example of somebody that we were equally clamoring over. So yeah, great point 100%. by you. It's Spain and Fitz. We're doing good take, hot take. Let's move through the last couple quickly. Here's some more from Dan Orlovsky. This time talking about <laughs> Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz won't take another snap for the Philadelphia Eagles ever again. He can't, and he shouldn't. This is going to be a divorce. It's going to be pricey, and it's going to be impactful. I I said last week, I don't see if Jalen Hurts continues to play good football, how you could have both of them on your football team next year. After yesterday, you can't. I want everyone to understand quarterbacks are very different. We're different people. Like when we walk out onto the field, that's my football team. That's my huddle. Those are my guys. Jalen Hurts ain't giving that up. I just don't see Jalen Hurts giving this up. All right, Fitz, we have another Wentz take after this. So quickly, good take or hot take that, first of all, you don't see Jalen Hurts giving it up, which, by the way, is exactly what he did in his last starting job when he gave it up to Tua, uh, but also the idea that Wentz won't play another snap there. I, I think the Wentz not playing another snap is a good take. He, uh, he can force his way out. And remember, he's already made $79 million in, in his lifetime. So uh, there is an element of does he just sit back and say, no, I refuse to report unless you trade me. We've never seen an NFL player at this level in this moment do it with this type of contract, but maybe Carson doesn't. All right, so that brings us to Greeny. We're going back and back between Dan and Greeny tonight on Wentz as well. Adam Schefter reporting that Carson Wentz feels aggrieved. He feels that this has not been handled well, and he doesn't want any part of being a backup. And I will just say this. For that to come out yesterday, on a day where the Eagles are playing for their lives, their playoff lives, and that kid Jalen Hurts is going out there with everything in the world in his face again as it was last week, tells you everything you need to know about Carson Wentz. Everything you need to know about Carson Wentz. 
We talk about humbling yourself. The diametric opposite of humbling yourself is how Carson Wentz has handled this situation. No one likes to get benched, but there are ways to handle things. By that story coming out yesterday, those things don't happen by accident. That isn't a coincidence. That story got out there because someone wanted it out there. Okay, it's very possible that that someone was Carson Wentz. He wants the conversation around him to be national. He wants the possibility of going somewhere else. But we don't know that for sure. So is it a good take or a hot take to blame Carson Wentz for all of this? I think that's a hot take. For yesterday, particularly, to your point, we have no idea where the leak came. It could have been somebody in the organization. It could have been somebody in Jalen Hurts' camp that wanted to leak that so that the world knows the truth about what's happening behind that. Like, there's so many variables to that until we know to presume is is a very risky proposition. And I think also there's a real understanding that you lose your starting spot. You missed your chance to play in the Super Bowl that your team won. There's a lot of disappointment and frustration and shame going on. So if he's sad or frustrated and that's expressed to coaches or others in the team and one of those people goes and runs with it and tells someone, that's that's salt in the wound. And so I think we need to know for sure that he's behind this before we take him out publicly. I will get you an update on Monday Night Football, but also up next, the NBA starts tomorrow. Huh? We'll get into that and how it's going to look next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Monday Night Football going on right now. For once in my professional career, this is not a misspeak. The Bengals up 3 nothing. <laughs> they uh, recovered a fumble early on, managed to take that, drive it down, get a field goal. And it looks like the Steelers have already punted back to him. So, wow, look at what we've got there. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive's home quote explorer, changing the way you buy home insurance. Now you can go online, get a custom quote, and save both time and money. Learn more at Progressive.com. I'm a little little just, like, stunned to be saying this. I can't believe that I'm going to say this phrase to you, Sarah, but the NBA season starts (laughs) <laughs> like, like it just feels unreal to be saying that the NBA season starts tomorrow. Like, it, it feels like a, a, a two senses here. One, it feels like we just crowned a champion because we did. But two, this is the time we're sort of used to paying more attention to the NBA because Christmas Day for years has been sort of the tip-off to the season for so many people that are paying attention. Yeah, but usually by then I know who's coaching what team and which <laughs> players are on which rosters. And I'm not going to lie to you, Fitz. There's a lot going on right now between Christmas and COVID and other sports. I'm going to have a lot of catching up to do when this season starts because there's just, it was such a whirlwind of an off season. And I still uh, maintain that I'm not sure how it's going to work in a bubble. And I know Adam Silver went on, I think it was first take today and sort of walked us through all the different ways the league is going to try to adjust to the pandemic, talked about how they weren't going to jump the line for the vaccines, but that they will be very careful about testing. Even so, man, is it tough to imagine that they'll be able to get this done, especially the way we've seen college basketball start. Uh, Here's a little bit of what uh, Adam said on First Take today. There's enormous uncertainty around this virus and including how we will proceed this season. So we're doing something we've never done before, which was we're we're planning to issue the schedule in parts. So we're going to have an initial schedule. As as you said, PJ's season starts December 22nd. We're going to issue a schedule through early March, which will then give us a chance to reset. And maybe we'll learn. Maybe it'll turn out that we had to postpone some games. But I've said this before. One thing we all learn in dealing with this virus is that we have to stay incredibly humble. And we learn from other industries, we learn from other sports, and, and we'll just see as we go, and including ultimately and, and follow the advice we get from public health officials. I mean, Fitz, it sounds simple, but it's really smart. Like, that's that's the way you have to do it. And 
that you know schedule being released in parts that that's brilliant that's the way you got to do it when you have no idea what's coming next it's one of the things that i think trans i hope transfers over to future seasons i kind of like the suspense i mean i like on a long season i don't know about when you can actually buy tickets and attend games that you don't want to know now that's a fair (laughs) point and it won't work out well if you can get big bucks for games from idiots that think their team's going to be good and then halfway through when they realize they're trash like no i'm good i don't want to pay for that anymore that is a fair point i mean realistically (laughs) like the the fact that fans won't be in stands makes this much easier to yeah. do but uh there is a moment of i like the suspense i like uh, knowing that we're going to get the first half and then uh we'll get the second half of it uh when it's time but it also gives the league a lot of wiggle room on figuring out how and when to adjust and i think that's really important it's important to remind everybody that just because the nba made it through the bubble doesn't mean that that's it's not a completely different challenge now and given the fact that they aren't in a bubble and given the fact that they are going to be trying to play these games as normally as possible it it's such an additional challenge that Sarah I'm left to wonder sort of how they make it through and I think it's an important reminder to everybody that it won't be easy yeah it won't be easy in addition to a really short offseason during which new players on new teams and new coaches will have a ton of catching up to do and we saw in the NFL you know they afforded those teams extra time together that's not happening as far as I've heard in the NBA if you have a new coach or some massive new star on your roster you're not getting extra time to figure out how you're going to gel and how and how you're going to game plan. So I think we're going to see a lot of tough games early on for teams with the biggest uh, turnover and then perhaps tough games for teams with the shortest amount of time between bubble play and now. We're still going to have to take a good look at you know rest for veterans. I know they've made some rules around nationally televised games and expectations for them to be available for those big ones for the league and the TV deals, um, but we're going to see a lot of strategery uh, more so than we would usually see. And and not to mention, we've got our eyes on a whole bunch of possible midseason moves, including James Harden, uh, even though we're not getting anything from him. And I mean literally nothing. Here's what he said today. James, now that you've been in camp for about a week, do you feel any better about this situation now than you did before you arrived? Next question. Yeah, so we're literally getting nothing from him, but we know behind the scenes there's plenty going on and plenty being demanded. So... Uh, Just keeping an eye on that alone is going to be fascinating. Yeah, I love the next question element of it, which is the same as saying, nah, I'm I'm not happy at all. I mean, I don't like at that point, you might as well, you know what we're all going to infer from it. So either answer. Well, it's also just keep asking the rest of my teammates and coaches and everyone else as I burden them with my trash. As as only James Harden can do. But you're right. Like, that's the drama that's going to carry The only time he's willing to dish. Uh, He's like, here. Here, you take this. Wow. Wow. Let me no, assist you with that. That is the drama that's going to keep all of us sort of enthralled, especially because you'll be taking one of the best players, presumably from the West, and if he goes to the East, what does it do to the power structure of a conference that's much harder to to, to predict right now, not knowing how Durant's going to look uh, coming off of his injury and not knowing how Brooklyn's going to gel together. Like There, there are some interesting conversations in the NBA. It's just going to take a little time to get there. Speaking of interesting conversations, by the way, Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, uh, we got hit up on the uh, we got hit up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed by Ed here, uh, who says Carson Wentz to the Jets next season. Sarah, I love this because it does speak to a little <laughs> bit of what we were talking about earlier. Like it's not as simple as just draft a quarterback. I mean, there are. I mean, Carson Wentz is going to want out. God only knows what that looks like. Matt Stafford, according to a lot of people, is going to find a new home. I don't know what what's going to happen with Dak. Like the most over talked about news point of the summer was what was going to happen with Dak's contract. 
Now we're not talking about it at all. And I think it's an even bigger issue realizing that obviously he's rehabbing and the Cowboys got to figure out what to do for a long-term deal. I mean, I'm just, I'm loving the idea of Wentz bringing all the baggage and drama and sacks and bad plays. And is he any good? And should he be a starter to a team that's riddled with errors already? I just, I, I think I'm going to do a segment tomorrow and and you're going to be gone and we'll get to that in a second. I think I'm going to do a segment tomorrow called Worst Case Scenario because I was thinking about this yesterday. What if the Browns finally get to the playoffs and their fans are so excited about everything and then Cody Parkey double doinks to get them out of it? Oh. I was just thinking, like, worst case scenario is you you take all of the Bears' struggles and add them to the Browns and then – So I'm thinking that would be very uh, Jets-Wentz-like, that partnership as well. I'll do that tomorrow, which reminds me. You have to say goodbye. This is your last show before Christmas, before New Year's. You won't be back till January 4th. Uh, this is a this is a rarity for me. Like, I'm taking a little break. I'm getting a little mini vacation. So I'm going to so get a little much. time off and uh, and put my feet up. Uh, there's so many bowl games and interesting things happening, though. So there's a reason of, above me on Spain and Fitz. People will be listening to ESPN Radio anyway. And you will do an admirable job of holding down the fort. But it has yeah. been a- I'll be on for two more days, as usual. I'm just wondering, are you going to spend more time with your family or with the people that you cheat on me? Like, is it just me, you, and, and Michael Jr. hanging out? Are you going to spend some time uh, just doing some college football rankings? No, I'm just going to say what's up and then see who lets me be Big Spoon. Like, that's really what it comes down to. If I get to big, big if I get to be Big Spoon, I'm all in. Options are very small. I mean that literally. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.